Man, people are complicated. <laughs> we're such a tangled maze of ideas, thoughts, beliefs, desires, and emotions. And we're all hiding all the time, wearing masks, saying one thing and meaning another. So how rare and precious it is when somebody speaks a simple, true, honest word. Have you ever had the experience of just blurting out to someone what you really think, <laughs> how you really feel, and being surprised that those words came out of your own mouth, but at the same time knowing deep in your heart that you just spoke truly? I actually love it when that happens. Um, I think those are moments to treasure. The clouds part and the sunlight streams down, and you catch a glimpse of the real person, the real unmasked person. And quite often the truth that's spoken isn't very pretty, uh, maybe even downright ugly, uh, but it's true, it's real, it's a glimpse of the real face behind the mask, and I think that makes it precious. So probably my favourite moment in any movie ever uh, is that scene from the end of the movie A Few Good Men. It's uh, quite an old movie now, but I hope you've seen it. It's a great movie with Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson. And at the end of the movie, they're in a courtroom together. Tom Cruise is a young military lawyer, and Jack Nicholson is an old colonel who's on trial because one of his Marines died in a hazing called a Code Red. And Tom Cruise is convinced that the colonel, Jack Nicholson, ordered the Code Red, but he can't prove it. So the only way he can win the trial is to get the colonel to confess in open court. But he gets this sense that the colonel wants to confess. So what he does is he cleverly goads the colonel and works him up into a frenzy of pride and self-justification until the confession bursts out of him. Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? The colonel doesn't have to answer the question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! <laughs> well, you just have to go home and watch that scene again. Because it's incredible, right? Um, but in the end, the colonel's mask slips and he confesses to the very thing he's on trial for. He speaks that true and honest word. And it's one of the most exhilarating moments in all of movie history. And in the story we heard today, in the passion narrative, that happens twice. Where the crowd around Jesus cry out honestly from their true, deep heart. The life of Jesus provokes them and they speak truly. And the first time it happens, they shout, Hosanna! And then the second time it happens, they shout, Crucify! So two completely opposite words, but they're both honest they're both sincere, they're both passionate and unmasked and true. And they're both totally surprising things for ordinary people to say. Can you imagine being in either of those two crowds and shouting either of those two things? Either laying out your cloak and shouting praise to a man on a donkey, or calling for the death of a man who'd never done anything wrong. They're both Amazing things for ordinary people to say. Hosanna or crucify. But as we think about it, if we're honest with ourselves, we do start to see how that second word is possible. How it would be possible for us to shout 
crucified because Jesus claimed to speak for God and he called people to repent and turn back to God. And he said that God had a claim on their lives and wanted their worship and service. And it really doesn't take very much digging for me into my own heart to find part of my heart that just hates that, that wants to kill a man who says that. So yes, I think I can find crucify there in my heart waiting to be shouted. But what about Hosanna? Today I want to talk about Hosanna because I think Hosanna is actually the more surprising word. Hosanna is the Palm Sunday word. We always say it on Palm Sunday and at pretty much no other time. Uh, it was there in our liturgy right at the start of the service. It wasn't then in the reading from Luke while we were standing outside, but it is in all the parallel passages in Matthew, Mark, and John, in those passages that talk about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem a week before he died. And all four gospel writers make it clear that the crowd back then was quoting from the Old Testament when they cried out. They shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And those are words straight out of Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. So I think it would be good to turn there to Psalm 118. So if you uh, crack your Bible right in the middle, you'll probably be within a few pages. <laughs> um, Psalm 118, right in the middle. And uh, we'll start reading at verse 19. Psalm 118, verse 19, it says, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. In Hebrew, become my Yeshua. That's Jesus' name. That little phrase, become my salvation, shows up only three times in the Old Testament. It shows up in the Song of Moses. After the Red Sea crossing in Exodus 15, here in Psalm 118 and in Isaiah chapter 12, the prophecy of the water of life. So it's a really important little phrase. And that made this psalm an important messianic prophecy in first century Judaism. Here's verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Verse 25, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So you'll recognize right away the second part of the Palm Sunday cry at the end there. And the Hosanna part is there too. It's at the beginning of verse 25. It says, save us, we pray. And that's two words in the Hebrew, Hoshiana. So the crowd on Palm Sunday must have been shouting in Hebrew, quoting this psalm, and the gospel writers who were writing in Greek transliterated Hoshiana as Hosanna. So Hosanna means deliver us, we pray, or save us now. And this little word is full of meaning. It shows that the crowd on Palm Sunday recognized that Jesus was their Messiah, and they saw that this was the moment that he was going to rescue them. And they were rejoicing and praising God from their hearts. So while you're standing out there, you cried out, Hosanna, with some gusto. You put as much effort into it as you could early on a Sunday morning. But certainly our Hosanna sounded nothing like theirs. Theirs was a kind of shout you give at a football game or a rock concert. 
And out of your gut roar of joy and victory and celebration. For them it was unrestrained, unfiltered, unbridled worship. A total abandonment of any mask. It was undignified, like David dancing before the Lord. How often has your heart cried out to God like that? For me, I can only say it's a few times in 20 years of earnestly following him. And that's why I say that Hosanna is a more surprising word than crucify. The level of worship that was going on when Jesus rode into Jerusalem was so intense that some observers found it inappropriate and distasteful and they asked for it to stop. They said to Jesus, and this is from Luke 19, verse 39 in your service leaflets, they said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus replied, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. That's just such an awesome thing for him to say. So not only is their whooping and shouting appropriate, their unrestrained, undignified worship, it's right. It's the right response to what he's doing. It's the kind of reaction he was looking for. And he says, the whole created order is drawn to respond this way to the the appearance of its creator. And nature abhors a vacuum. So if one part of creation, humanity, fails to do its job and worship God as it's supposed to and creates this worship vacuum, then another part of creation, the rocks, are going to rush in to fill that vacuum. They will cry out because they see that their God cannot go unworshipped. So Jesus told them, silence this rock concert over here and you're going to hear a completely different kind of rock So this is what Jesus wants to call forth from each one of us this morning. Our own Hosanna. The most that you've ever stood up cheering, applauding, admiring and adoring something. Plus some directed at him. Our worship. That's worship. That's true worship. And friends, worship feels great. Doesn't it? That's what heaven is. Eternal worship. Which should feel like... The very best crowd-pleasing moments in sport or art or music. Multiplied, condensed and lasting forever. It's going to feel great. And when we direct our most undignified, abandoned worship to our true God, we actually become our most dignified, our most human. Because that's what we were created for and what we were designed to do and designed to enjoy. Some people still scorn it. Like those Pharisees did. Teacher, tell your disciples to stop, they said. As if worship is an embarrassing thing. Belittling and humiliating, even dehumanizing. So I had a friend who'd been investigating Christianity for years tell me a few months back, John, I don't think I'm ever going to buy into all this faith stuff because I've realized that at the end of the day, it means bowing the knee. And I can't do that. And that was one of those precious moments of real honesty. Sad, but precious. It was sad because he's so wrong, because he had it backwards. And we realized that if we won't shout Hosanna, then what we'll shout instead is crucify. Those end up being the only two ways that anyone can respond to Jesus. And if you think about those two crowds, which was the one that was belittled? Which crowd was dehumanized? Which is the crowd that we would all be ashamed to be a part of? 
The one that brutally murdered an innocent man. So it's not worship that humiliates and dehumanizes us. It's hatred, especially hating God. And in fact, bowing the knee to God actually raises us. It makes us most human, most ourselves. So Jesus wants our Hosanna. And we realize that we do really want to give it to him. But even having realized that, we have to ask, how? How do we give it to him? It's so difficult, isn't it? Our hearts are so stubborn, so easily distracted, and so self-absorbed. How do we consistently point them to our true God in honest, passionate worship? So difficult. You might say that it would be easier for God to turn a rock into a human than it is for him to turn a human into a worshiper. But he is going to do it. That's what Jesus came to do. And in particular, that's what Holy Week, this whole passion story, is all about. God made himself a man, and he died for men and women so that he could win the praise, the heartfelt worship of men and women, so that he wouldn't have to listen to the tuneless singing of rocks. No, I shouldn't say that. It discredits the rocks. Rocks and flowers and birds and animals all give worship to their creator as they were designed to because they fulfill the purpose for which they were made. So God didn't make himself a rock to win the rocks or a flower to win the flowers or a bird to win the birds because he didn't need to. They already know him and praise him. We're the ones who've forgotten how. And he didn't make himself an angel to win the fallen angels. So there is no hope for them. But he did make himself a man in order to win the praise of men and women. And because of this, he is able to turn humans into worshippers and to draw out of each of our hearts our true Hosanna. So that's our hope that he will do it. And that's my prayer for each of you this week. As we enjoy the beauty and the solemnity and the passion of Holy Week together. Hosanna is a word that our God will draw out of us if we let him, if we submit to his shepherding and keep in step with his spirit. So I was praying this week about how to put this word into practice, this big, hardcore, central word. And the word that the Lord laid on my heart in order to put it into practice was unusual. I sort of thought twice about it. I was like, really, Lord? Um, because there are lots of tools that God's given us for warming up our stony hearts toward him. Lots of helps we could talk about, like... His word and prayer and community and works of service and spiritual disciplines and even our own suffering, they can all help to draw out the Hosanna from our hearts. But here's a tool that I want to talk about, and it's definitely one of secondary importance, but I want to talk this morning a little bit about our sense of duty. Now that might sound totally bizarre when I say it, because this whole sermon's been about honest, heartfelt, joyful, vibrant worship, and isn't duty the opposite of that? Isn't duty cold and stony and lifeless? The ashes that remain of a Christian life after all the fiery passion has died. Well, many people think that, and it isn't always far from the truth. We know that too much duty without love does produce angry, judgmental, and self-righteous Christians. That's true. I'm an Englishman, and we're really big on duty, and I know all about that. Um, but I don't think that's really a problem for the people here. And actually, many of us, I think, have the opposite problem, which is that we're so anxious to avoid becoming dead, dutiful disciples that we treat our sense of duty itself as a liar and an enemy. 
And we run away from anything in our Christian lives that feels like an obligation, like something that we ought to do. But if our sense of duty, but our sense of duty isn't always our enemy, it can be a useful tool. So here's what I mean. Whenever we try to do anything good, we find that our hearts resist, right? We don't totally want to do that good thing because our natural laziness, selfishness, and fear stand in our way. So, for example, for me, I think overall I like to pray. It's a pleasant experience, and I enjoy it. But every morning when I sit down to pray, my heart resists. It groans and says, this again? I don't really know why. It doesn't seem in any way connected with my actual experience of prayer. But there's a hump to get over. There's a speed bump in the road every single morning. And it's the same with coming to church on Sunday. Yes, I feel it too. And I'm the priest. (laughs) And it's the same with making time to love or serve anyone. Because loving people is hard. Especially when it's a family member. Or a friend. Or an acquaintance. Or a stranger. And there's a similar speed bump when we try to do pretty much anything that's good, that's worth doing. We want to do all these things out of sincere hearts, right? We want the motivation to be sincere. But the reality is that if we wait for our hearts to be sincere, we rarely do anything good. And so that's where duty comes to our aid as a friend. Often it's our sense of duty that most reliably comes to help us over that hump, to do what we know is right. And then once we're over the hump, more often than not, we discover that the right thing was indeed good and life-giving, and our hearts come to life, sometimes with that true Hosanna. So a little strange way to end the sermon, but my encouragement for us today is not to silence that little voice of duty, not to react against it as if it's something dangerous, but to use it in the Lord's service. Unless, of course, you find that you're already overusing it, and your sense of duty itself is crushing your spiritual life. But as I said, I really don't think that's much of a problem for our community. So this week coming up is Holy Week, and Holy Week is full of extra services and events. And I think some of you still aren't really sure um, what you think about Holy Week. Maybe because something like a Good Friday service feels like a duty, and you want to run away, a kind of obligation that isn't where you think you'll find spiritual life. My challenge to you this week is, give it a try. So what if it feels like a duty? Come anyway. So here's why we make an effort effort to make this week special. We make an effort to make this week special because we believe that Hosanna emerges from us, as it did from that crowd on the first Palm Sunday, when we gaze on our Savior riding in to rescue us. When we look at him when we focus on him, when we give him our time and attention. So I encourage you to test us on this and give it a try to really focus this week on the passion of your Savior Jesus, to give him your first attention. And I think part of that will be to come and participate in some of the special events that we've got going on for Holy Week, especially our Good Friday service. It's right here, 7 o'clock on Friday. Why don't you decide now that you're not going to miss it, that you won't let yourself miss it for any reason? Because we're going to be here and gaze upon the cross of Jesus together, where Jesus gave his life to free us from evil and death. It will move us if we let it. It will change us if we let it. It will draw out of us a roar of praise, our true 
Hosanna.